grace and peace to you. I'm Vicar Derek Kabilis, and this is Exile Cast for Wednesday, the 24th of November, in the year of our Lord 2021. Well, I just want to say thank you for all your patience over the last several weeks, just about two months now. I, uh, I had my six-week sabbatical, and let me just say, it was glorious. As many of you know, I've been working on a book lately, and while I still have... Uh, two chapters of Rough Draft to write. It is mostly done, at least the first draft. And let me tell you, the ability to wake up and, and take my dogs for a walk and then just leisurely get some coffee, sit down at my desk and, and just absolutely lose myself in writing for hours and hours was just so amazing. I can't tell you how good it felt, actually, on that very first day when I realized at 11 o'clock I had left my phone by my bed when I woke up at 7 and I didn't even miss it. That's not a mistake I can usually afford to make in the context of my ministry, but while I was on sabbatical, it was no big deal. Well, I'm ready to be back in the saddle now, and I'm excited to be traveling with my church through this Advent season. This year I'm doing something a little different even. I'm um, preparing a preaching series called Advent and Artistry, where every Sunday we'll be taking a look at different pieces of art and talking about how God meets us through the visual arts as we prepare our hearts to receive Christ. So please look for that and, and join us in person if you can at 9.45 on Sunday mornings. Now before we get started, having come back from my sabbatical, I can say again that I am so thankful to serve a church in a denomination that realizes the importance of allowing someone to take time like that every few years. I realize that most people, uh, most people out there work their entire adult lives never being able to take even two weeks off in a row, let alone six, even for some people, even if they have a child. And honestly, I gotta tell you, I think that's really a shame. It's not that I think I have a uniquely difficult job, or that there's anything different about being a minister that requires six weeks off every few years, whereas someone who works in business or retail or manufacturing or, or even in the home, well, they don't deserve that kind of time off. No, that... The truth is, everyone needs time away. Everyone needs space to breathe. Everyone 
needs the opportunity to reconnect with themselves and their families and their God away from their work and their labor. So if you can find that space, if your job allows you that kind of opportunity to get away and you've just been putting it off, then I encourage you to start planning right now to take it. Start making arrangements, talking to HR, lining up family members, doing whatever it is you gotta do and do it now. Because trust me, if you're waiting for the right time, it'll just never come. And you'll be waiting until you're retired or till you're dead and saying, well, maybe next year. And let me say, if your work or your vocation never gives you the opportunity to take an extended break, then please advocate for yourself. Talk to your bosses, talk to the owners, talk to shareholders or, or politicians, to, to whoever it is you gotta talk to and make a space for yourself if none is provided for you. You know, the society we live in treats us as if we were nothing more than producers and consumers employees and customers but friend let me tell you you are so much more than that you are a child of god a child who was created to roam a, a, a child that was created to play to take naps to travel to experience, to grow, and to graze. But we don't live in a world right now that lets all of us embrace that identity anymore. And between you and me, I really think we should change that. Stick around, friends. We got a good word for you today. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John, the 18th chapter. Then Pilate again entered the praetorium. He summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Judeans? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Judean, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews but as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, 
you say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said, what is truth? This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Amen. Please be seated. sort of a fight. Do you know what I mean when I say that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever gotten into that headspace before where everything in your life just feels like a battle? Where everything you try to accomplish, every obstacle that gets in your way, every relationship that you try to nurture just becomes another theater of combat in the great war that is our lives. And it comes out in our language in funny ways, doesn't it? Somebody uh, sends you a text message and, you say, and they say, hey, you're running late. And and how do we respond? We say, oh, I'm fighting traffic. Really? You're fighting it like you're Mad Max or something? (laughs) Or um, how about uh, if you start to sneeze or sniffle and someone asks if you're okay, you say, oh, I'm fighting off a cold. Oh, what valor that you're fighting off a cold, or did you, are you just getting a little sick? Or we say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fighting the insurance company to get them to pay this claim. You're not fighting with anyone. They told you they didn't want to pay it, and you disagreed, and you were curt on the phone one time. That is not a fight. I know it's a silly thing to pick on, I think our our language matters. It affects our heads and our spirits. I think when I look out at the world, it seems to me that a good majority of the time, folks are assuming that they are engaged in some sort of combat. However oblique it may be, whether it's relational combat, social, political, financial, legal, administration, whatever it is, we convince ourselves that we are soldiers who are ever fighting these little invisible wars. Case in point. I was dating this girl back in my seminary days. And no, it was not Maggie, so that's not where this story ends. But I really liked her. I I thought she was really great. We had gone out like three or four times, and, and I thought it was really going well. So I called her 
to ask her out, and I, 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 I left a message, and after 24 hours, I hadn't heard back. So I thought, well, maybe she's no big deal. Maybe she was just busy, and after two days, I, I still hadn't heard back again, and I thought, man, we had gone out, like, three or four times we were having a good time what's going on and I started to get a little worried I left another little polite message on her machine but by day four I was despondent I was feeling really vulnerable and insecure and my friends my friends were great they did exactly what they were supposed to do in that situation you know they're like hey man Forget that girl. Yeah, if she doesn't recognize what a great dude you are, then, then you don't want to be with her anyway. Plenty of fish out in the sea. And, and you're a hero, man. She's just being mean and petty. And I thought, yeah. She is just being mean and petty. And all of a sudden, I started feeling better. Because... Now I'm not just a lonely, insecure dude. Now I'm a victim, right? I'm a martyr, and she is a villain. She's an enemy, and I am a heroic and wounded soldier, struck down, but not destroyed. So that night, with all my buddies watching, I decide to call her one last time. And I get her voicemail, and I pull a pin on a grenade in my mind and just let her have it. How dare you? I can't believe you have the gall not to call me back. I pity whoever it is you end up with. And I ended it all with, don't even think about calling me back again. Click. Booyah. High five. Then she called back. <laughs> and at first I wasn't going to answer it, you know, but then I thought, oh, it'll be even sweeter to tell her off to her face. So I pick up the phone and I give her a stern hello. And she says, uh, hi. And I was taking a little off guard. So I said, well, well, what do you want? She said, well, I wanted to apologize for not calling you back. I've been in the hospital with emergency gallbladder surgery. And I said, oh, wow, well, how are you feeling? And she said, single. And hung up the phone. And I deserved it. I deserved that. And it was all because in my mind, I thought I was fighting war. It was a, a, a righteous war at that, but actually, instead, all I was doing was hurting myself and somebody else. See, that's what we do. Our first instinct is often to imagine that we have been challenged 
into some kind of combat where everything is on the line and we got to go all out and, 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 and fight for our lives and, and, and that mentality, that way of thinking about the world, that paradigm that we bring to bear on our lives and our jobs and our politics and even our churches, it makes us paranoid and defensive can destroy our relationships and rob us of our peace. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were from this world, then my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Judeans. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. How does Jesus make it clear that his kingdom is not of this world? What is the one salient point that differentiates Jesus' kingdom from all the other kingdoms? My followers would fight, but they do not. Why is that? Have you ever asked yourself that question before? Why didn't the disciples and the rest of the crowds that, that hailed Jesus as king on Palm Sunday as he rode a donkey into Jerusalem, if he really was the Messiah, why didn't they fight to rescue him from danger, to pull him from Pontius Pilate? Why didn't they rise up with their fists and their swords and, and, and take out the Praetorian Guard and put Pilate and King Herod on trial? They had done it before. Do you have any idea how many wars and rebellions the Judeans fought against Romans and Greeks both before and after Jesus? It was like a constant revolution. They had a whole political party devoted to it. Do you ever hear folks called the Zealots? The Zealots were the ones that wanted Israelite freedom at all costs. So why not do it? What battle could be more righteous? What cause could be more just? Why not fight? Well, some people would say, well, because then it, it, it wouldn't have gone according to God's plan. The plan was for Jesus to be crucified and resurrected and, and God was pulling the strings and, and all of that. No. No one there had any idea that that's how this story was going to end. That the guy would be crucified and then resurrected on the third day. That, that didn't enter anyone's mind. No, they didn't fight for one very simple reason. Jesus never told them to. They wanted to do it. They would have done it, and at the drop of a hat, remember when Peter took his sword and, and, and cut off the ear of the Roman guard? trying to defend Jesus from being taken captive. And, and what does Jesus say? He says, those who live by the sword die by the sword. Or what about those branches 
that they waved around on Palm Sunday. What, we think it's just celebratory, but actually palm branches are a revolutionary sign. They were a symbol of their willingness to support the cause of this new Messiah. Those cries, Hosanna, son of David, save us. That's something you only say to a would-be king. That's something you only say to someone who's about to start a war. They were ready. They were willing. But they never got the green light. Why not? It would have been so simple. We know that that when all was said and done, Jesus didn't really want to die. Remember, he was sweating blood before the crucifixion. Why not just say, well, um, um, let them go. Let the angels come down. Let the people rise up, pull the pin on the grenade, and just let it fly. Well, because that would have been against the entire spirit of everything he was trying to do. A wise man once said that fighting for Jesus is like fornicating for virginity. Fighting for the kingdom of God is like drinking a toast to sobriety. Doing battle for the sake of Christianity is like doing cocaine for the sake of your health. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute. That's not who he is. And that's not what he's trying to bring about in the world. It's really hard for us uh, 21st century Christians to really understand what Pilate meant when he asked if Jesus was a king. You know, we are so far from, and I know we got the, the Queen of England and a couple of other kings spattered about, but we are actually so far removed in our thinking from how they understood their kings. And we think, oh yeah, saying Jesus is king means he is the Lord of our lives, that he rules us, just like all those cute little kings and queens used to. And that's nice and sweet, but it's just not it. It's not about rule. It's not about politics or behavior. It's about identity. It's about being. In the ancient world, kings and queens weren't just presidents and prime ministers on steroids. They weren't forms of government as we think about them today. They were understood to be a connection point between the heavens and the earth. Almost like a, a kind of priest to the nation. They, they, they called it uh, the great chain of being. Or sometimes they called it the hierarchy of glory. And, and what it was, was imagine a sort of river of life and blessing and uh, grace flowing down 
from God or the gods, depending on where you were, and flowing directly down onto the king or the queen. That's what the crown was. It was a kind of funnel, okay? It was almost like a a satellite receiver that was supposed to catch all the glory that was coming down from heaven. And then from kings, it went down to lords, and from lords to vassals, from vassals to the fathers and mothers of the land, and from your parents, it came down to you. And back then, that's how you became you. Just as a child belongs in the most literal way possible to their parents, so the people were understood to belong to the monarch. In 1649, when the British Parliament brought King Charles I to trial for, quote, Treasons, murders, burnings, spoils, desolations, damages, and mischiefs to this nation. His response to the charges was, I am the nation. How can I commit treason against myself? For them, the king didn't lead. The king didn't rule. The king was. The king was the source of identity, the the metaphysical wellspring of the nation. So tell me, where do you get your being and identity? Who is it that tells you who you are? To whom do you belong? And who is it that keeps telling you to fight? Because it sure is hecking Jesus. Over my sabbatical, when I had all this time to, to rest and read and write, every once in a while I'd click over to the news and I would see people in all constant states of battle readiness, right? That everyone felt like they were walking around with this revolutionary fervor, burning an idol inside themselves all the time. And I thought about how much anger is still out there in this world, how much hurt and pain is just getting churned up by folks every day who are convinced that there is something inside of them that has to fight. That they have to do combat. That they have to be angry. That they have to win. And I get it, you know, there are times when it is right to stick up for the little guy when it's right to raise your voice for the cause of justice like Jesus drawing the line in the, the sand in front of the woman who was caught in adultery, saying, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. 
or when he turned over the temples of the money changers and, and, and cleaned the house of his father, there's a place for those kinds of things in our lives. But I think those moments are supposed to be rare and sad and almost completely overshadowed by the love that we give, the healing that we offer, the forgiveness we declare, and the beauty we appreciate. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice, Jesus said. Pilate asks, what is truth? You know, we're never told Jesus' response to that question. John just moves forward, but I think that maybe, maybe that's because John wanted us to answer it for ourselves. What is truth? What is this truth that you're supposed to belong to? How about, blessed are the peacemakers? That's a truth. How about, blessed are the merciful? That's true, too. How about, love your enemy and do good to those who persecute you? How about, the love of money is a, is a root of all kinds of evil? How about, forgive as you have been forgiven and, and care for the orphan and widow in their distress? How about, God is love? When does that truth get to hold sway in your life? When does that truth get to confer upon you your identity. Ask yourself, what is the truth that owns me? Do you belong heart, mind, and soul to the truth that Jesus came to proclaim, that, that Jesus came to display in front of us when he was on the cross and looked down and said, forgive them, Father. For they know not what they do. Or is there another Messiah? Is there another king? Another God? With whom you have tried to split your allegiance? Sometimes I wake up. Sometimes I wake up angry and ready for a fight. And then I realize part of that anger comes from me worshiping other kings. Friends, one of the things that I was reminded of while on my sabbatical is that despite our problems, Despite the hard things that we go through and the, the difficult feelings that we may have, despite how we may feel about world events as they, they happen around us, and, and, and despite how difficult it is to hold on to the relationships that we have to those whom we love, 
despite all of that, the world is first and foremost still a place of peace. A place of beauty. In a theater, not for combat, but for love. The longer I live, the more I realize that the lion's share of following Christ the King is just trying to remember that. These words I offer to you in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As an epilogue, I just have to say that some years later, I met another woman, and much like the one I mentioned in the sermon, I called her up and got her voicemail and asked her out, left her a message. I waited a day and no call back. Two days, nothing, and and my head was starting to swim. I was starting to wobble a little bit, but my buddy reminded me of what happened back in college and said just stay calm if she calls great if not you gotta keep living i took it his advice after a week i did my best to forget the whole thing but nine days later that woman called And yes, dear listener, she really did become my wife. Friends, life is too short to spend it fighting battle after battle, war after war. Sure, you're going to have conflict and disagreement, and from time to time you may have to speak up and take action, but that's no way to live. Pick your battles, stay calm, and stay loyal to your one true king. Blessed are the peacemakers. And now may the love of God the Father, the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you and be with you now and always. Amen.